Good afternoon and welcome to Speaking Truth to Empire on KFCF 88.1 FM, independently owned and locally operated since 1975 in Fresno. My name is Dan Yassin. I'm an anti-war and anti-empire activist. Uh, Dennis Thompson is at the controls. I'm happy to be back after a three-month hiatus because I've been dealing with some health issues. I am feeling much better now, although still recovering. Today is August 17, 2022, third Wednesday of the month. Every third Wednesday from 3 to 3.30 p.m., I interview authors, scholars, bloggers, columnists, and activists who help us look at our world through the prism of American imperialism. On the show, we talk about U.S. foreign and domestic policies and the actions of the military-industrial-congressional surveillance complex. These actions have severe, severe consequences, not only for the people here in America, but also for the people in other countries. Today we have Jeff J. Brown on telephone with us. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being my guest. Uh, Jeff Brown is a geopolitical analyst, journalist, lecturer, and author. Jeff grew up in Oklahoma. He received a B.S. degree from Oklahoma State University and an M.S. from Purdue University. He went to Brazil while in graduate school at Purdue University, which whet his appetite for traveling the globe. This helped inspire him to be a Peace Corps volunteer in Tunisia, and he lived and worked in Africa, the Middle East, China, and Europe for the next 20 years. All the while, he mastered Portuguese, Arabic, French, and Mandarin, while traveling in over 85 countries. He then returned to America for nine years, 2001 to 2010, whereupon he moved back to China in 2010. In late 2019, he and his wife started to retire in Thailand and had to return to Normandy, France in 2020 to take care of family needs. Finally, deciding to retire there permanently. He is the author of the China Trilogy, which consists of 44 days backpacking in China, China Rising, Capitalist Road, Socialist Destination, and Big Red Book on China. His website is www.chinarising.puntopress.com. Jeff, let's start with the hottest topic in the news. Another U.S. congressional visit to Taiwan following Nancy Pelosi's visit a couple of weeks ago. First, tell us about how China responded to Nancy Pelosi's visit and what would China do now? Thank you for such a wonderful introduction, Dan. Yes, uh The United States is increasingly desperate in its attempt to uh, uh, crush or limit China's race, you know, bullet bullet speed, you know, uh, uh, bullet speed trajectory into the 22nd century. Uh, Tibet didn't work. Xinjiang didn't work. They got they got control of Hong Kong and got rid of all of the all of the color revolutions there. Macau is okay. 
the last the last place that the United States can frustrate or try to uh, 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 delusionally uh, try to hurt China is is Taiwan and the South China Sea. Uh, I was a little bit surprised uh, that how China reacted. I thought maybe they would take the they would they would just take take the outer islands, which are some small islands, right off the coast of China. You can actually see them. I've actually seen them off of the coast of China. <clears throat> they're, they're like less than 10 kilometers from the coast, and, but they're, they're Taiwanese territory. Long history, we can't go into it. They didn't do that. But what they did do is they did a three-day uh, in, in, uh, invasion. They called it, you know, repatriation. <laughs> repatriation drill um, and for the first time ever they put military uh, they put a military uh, cordon on the Pacific side the Hawaii America side of Taiwan the east side so they had they basically had Taiwan surrounded for three days north south two on the two on the east and one on the uh, west which is Right off 200 kilometers off the coast of, 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 of mainland China, they extended it for two days, and now every time and, and what this is allowing China to do is practice a, 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 an invasion of Taiwan and taking it over. I don't think they will ever need to do that, um, but what they're doing is very Confucian. Uh, they, they're it's it's it is. Um, censored in the West, and it's censored in Taiwan, but protests are beginning in Taiwan demanding uh, re- reunification with the mainland. Uh, people born after 1980 in uh, Taiwan, a large percentage of them want reunification. Uh, the reunification uh, part, uh, you know, NGOs and organizations have all been severely uh, censored and uh, crushed uh, by the uh, by the uh, current government. So I think what's going to happen every time. So now this new congressional delegation came. France just sent a delegation, and it's just going to give China an opportunity to flex its military muscle. I remind remind the Taiwanese and the and the, and the Americans who's boss. <laughs> And we'll have to just wait and see uh, how it how it pans out. But I, I, you know, China is averse to war. They really, really do not want to any any kind of you know aggression. So I think they're just going to you know they've got time on their side. The goal of of, uh, of China is by 2049. So we've got you know a couple of decades and a half. By 2049, they want Taiwan to be reunified with the motherland. Uh, and that's the 100th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. So China's not in any rush. And I've always joked, you know, 5% of Taiwan's people live in mainland China, and they're not cooks and taxi drivers. They're CEOs, engineers, scientists, technicians, business owners, manufacturers. These are really, you know, the, the cream of the cream of, of Taiwan's um, uh, 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 educational class, 
And all China would have to do, since there's 5%, a million Taiwanese live on mainland China working there, uh, all they would have to do is just China would have to just <laughs> cancel 10 or 20,000 visas of some of these key people, which would bring the uh, Taiwanese economy to a standstill uh, and, uh, and bring them to their knees. But, but China's got time on their side. They're not, they're not in any rush. And, and I think they're really taking that long Confucian Taoist view uh, and uh, to avoid any kind of um, conflagration. Okay, just as U.S. created condition in Ukraine for Russia to start its special military operation, is U.S. behaving the same way in Taiwan? Are we moving closer to a U.S.-China war over Taiwan? Well, I don't think so because China is avoiding war at all costs. Uh, and Russia had no choice but to move into Ukraine, eastern Ukraine, what's known as the Donbass. And I've seen posters from back in the Soviet days where, you know, Donbass was considered to be like the heartland of the entire, you know, USSR. It's a very important strategic area, uh, eastern Ukraine, because Russia had to take care. They, they had to be the aggressor. Russia had to be the aggressor. And to to stop uh, seven years, we see no no eight years of genocide, uh, fifteen to twenty five thousand you know Russian speaking Ukrainians have been exterminated by Ukrainian Nazis uh, uh, all over all over Ukraine. So Russia, it, it, it's a bit different. You know, China is China does not have a compelling reason to invade Taiwan whereas Russia had a very compelling reason to invade uh, uh, Ukraine, not to mention the, 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 30, the 33 WMD weapons of mass destruction, the U.S. bioweapon laboratories that, I, that um, uh, James Bradley and I have done a ton of uh, reports about uh, because they were uh, they were you know, uh, using these uh, laboratories uh, to uh, uh, launch, you know, bioweapon attacks within eastern, within eastern uh, Ukraine. And then the other reason to go in, that the Russia had to go into Ukraine is because they knew that the United States was secretly using Ukraine to develop nuclear weapons. And so... Uh, uh, thank you, Vladimir Putin. Thank you, the Russian people, for going into Ukraine, stopping uh, uh, Nazi genocide, stopping bioweapon laboratories that could kill billions of people around the world, and thank you for stopping uh, the possibility of, you know, Nazis, hardcore Ukrainian Nazis, uh, developing their own their own uh, uh, nuclear weapons. So no, they're not the same. It's not the same. And and I do not see any conflict between the U.S. and Taiwan because uh, and and the United States knows it can't defend Taiwan. Their supply their supply lines are eleven thousand kilometers from from Los Angeles and Seattle, and this and. Taiwan is only 200 kilometers from the coast of China. I mean, 
a J a J twenty a J twenty you know fighter jet from China can't even hardly get off the runway before they're before they're already and uh, before they're already on top of Taiwan. So this is a lot of also you know imperial muscle flexing to show the world who's boss. You know that we're still the you know total spectrum dominance and you know we're we're number one and we're we're. We're, you know, we're, we're bad at, we're badass, you know, badass, you know, uh, you know, uh, America. But there's no way the United States could defend Taiwan and it, it would be over in a week if it happened. Okay, uh, give us a quick definition. I know in the mainstream media they mention one China policy, but they don't explain. Tell us what one China policy is. When the, and when Nixon went to China in 1972 uh, and met Mao Zedong, <laughs> uh, they agreed at that time uh, Nixon was, you know, really wanting to open doors with China. And so they agreed to a one-China policy, that, uh, that Taiwan was a part of China, and, uh, and not only Taiwan, but also Hong Kong and Macau at that time because they were, they were, they were a, a long ways away from being reincorporated into the mainland. And that would also go for Xinjiang. That would also go for Tibet. The, the, the United States agreed to a one China policy and that the mainland China, the People's Republic of China was the sole representative of the a Chinese nation, and that Taiwan was a part of that Chinese nation. Up until that time, Taiwan was uh, the uh, the representative of China in uh, the United Nations. So uh, that's all it is. It's just the, the the United States, you know, realized that uh, at that time a billion people versus ten billion ten uh, a billion people versus um, you know ten million people. Uh, and of course, uh, Nixon was a Nixon was a you know was a was a was a real geo strategist, mm-hmm. and he also wanted to have China on his side to to try to uh, cause problems for the USSR, which is in fact what happened later. China unfortunately was a strong ally for the United States in uh, helping to uh, destabilize uh, the, the USSR. Thank you. Uh- you are listening to Speaking Truth to Empire on KFCF 88.1 FM, independently owned and locally operated since 1975 in Fresno. We are speaking with geopolitical analyst, lecturer, and author Jeff J. Brown. Jeff, over the last few years, we have talked about the decline of American empire and the emerging multipolar world led by China and Russia. It seems Russia's action in Ukraine is another nail in the coffin of America's unipolar world. Bring us up to date. It it is absolutely true. And in fact, on two occasions, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin in speeches has said that uh, the special military operation in uh, Ukraine is the beginning of the end of Western empire, the beginning of the end of Western hegemony, colonialism, exploitation, 
uh, and he just again reiterated it at a at, a, at another speech. So he, he is sound, sounding loud and clear. Uh, in fact, uh, I printed the uh, key excerpts from those two speeches so that could, people could read that. Uh, you, Russia is basically saying Ukraine is 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 the is the is the line in the sand, and you, Russia is going to use the Ukrainian. Uh, use Ukraine to help uh, bring down a Western Empire and 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 hopefully get it to collapse. It, it, this is the first time in 500 years of rape, pillage, extermination, genocide, uh, and slavery, uh, expropriation, occupation. Uh, you know, uh, by the West all across the world. The first time in 500 years of colonialism and imperialism by the West that uh, the uh, there's a tipping point. And the tipping point, of course, is China's huge, massive manufacturing-based manufacturing economy, uh, high-tech. We have DPRK North Korea who is in full support of, 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 of Russia and China. In fact, North Korea recently offered to send 100,000 soldiers to Ukraine to fight with the Russians. It'd be over in two days. Those guys don't mess around. And, uh, uh, and, and they have thermonuclear weapons, uh, multi, uh, multi-headed uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that could take out uh, both the West Coast and the East Coast of the United States. And then you have Iran, you know, the most powerful country in the Middle East, just loaded to the hilt with missiles, high technology, uh, anti, anti-imperial. It's a socialist country, and uh, it's, socialist, it's socialist first and Islamic second. And so I call those four countries, and they're all connected together contiguously, I call them the Asian Quad, mm. and there's no way that the United States or, or NATO can do anything in Asia with those four countries, you know, working arm in arm. So it's 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 really the beginning of the end. Of course, we can see over and over and over again what is keeping the West what is keeping Western empire propped up is the U.S. dollar as the a go-to, a reserve currency still for most of the world. However, India is now using uh, uh, United Arab Emirate dirhams, you know, to buy coal and uh, and and uh, to buy coal in Russia. Ru- Russia and China are starting to do bilateral trading in in their currencies. Uh, the the BRICS countries are starting to work in their own currencies, and we are finally. After after the Bretton Woods Agreement, after World War II, which made the dollar basically the the most powerful currency in the world as a reserve currency, we are really starting to see a rapid. Uh, a, 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 I wouldn't say rapid, but an increasing uh, uh, uncoupling of the U.S. dollar from all of these countries who have had enough of 500 years of colonialism and rape and pillage and plunder. So that's, that, that is the linchpin is the U.S. dollar. And 
once that you know once there there's a run on the dollar, which is going to be bad for me because <laughs> my social security check is in U.S. dollars and I'm here in Europe and I have to convert to euros. Mm-hmm. But it would be a worthy cause, and I can always work harder and teach Chinese <laughs> students online to make up for it and get paid in Jinmenbi. Yeah, but, well, uh, it would be bad for us too in, in, in living yeah, in U.S. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. But that's what it's going to take. But it's happening. You know, you just you just see all just scan the headlines. You know, this country and that country are doing bilateral trade now in in uh, in their own currencies. The Shanghai Cooperative uh, Organization is doing it. BRICS is starting to do it. Uh, Russia is now allowing other countries to join into its uh, bank transfer, its, its its version of the SWIFT bank. Since since Russia has been been shut out of SWIFT, uh, the, the the Russia Russia and China are going to make sure that the pressure on the U.S. dollar continues. Uh, lots of countries now are starting to sell their uh, U.S. Treasury bonds, uh, trying to buy gold and silver. Uh, and because I think everybody senses that it may not happen tomorrow, but within the next few years, uh, the, 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 the pressure on, uh, 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 Western imperialism is, is going to become more and more overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I see it, one of the key difference between how America, uh, unipolar world has working and uh, how the emerging China, Russia, multipolar world work is that U.S. looks at the world as a zero-sum game. So when they go in, they have to win. And the way it is, the other side has to lose. But China, Russia are using what is what I is called win-win. So explain to us the difference between the two uh, Viewpoints, uh, the view of the world. Well, you know, I, I, I've actually quoted this. Uh, Boutros, Boutros uh, Ghali, the uh, Egyptian uh, diplomat who uh, for five or six years was the general secretary of the United Nations. He didn't say this while he was in the, while he was working uh, in the UN, but in his personal letters afterwards, he, he wrote that uh, the United States does not do diplomacy. He said that, you know, he spent all of his life, you know, going to college and university and schools and courses to become a master diplomat. And he learned very quickly that the United States does not do diplomacy. The United States just makes demands. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't agree with those demands, then they will try to crush you, invade you, uh, 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 you know, uh, false flags, color revolutions, whatever, to destroy you. And he said that the reason is because America is an empire. The Roman Empire did not negotiate <laughs> and did not do diplomacy, and so it's no different. All empires uh, feel like that they are God and that um, uh, everybody should obey them. And I, there's a great quote by... Um, uh, there's a great, great quote by Henry Kissinger. He said, uh, "To be, um, to be, um, to be America's uh, enemy uh, is dangerous, but to be America's ally is lethal, is deadly." In other words, 
No, America has no friends. America just has vassal states mm-hmm. who are prostitutes to the United States or the, or the ones that are the enemies who are trying to fight against it, such as, you know, Venezuela and Argentina and Cuba and, and, and all the other essentially socialist, communist, uh, countries. Uh, and so, uh, the multipolar world is, Basically, we are, the world would run by, would be run by the United Nations Charter, which means mutual respect, mutual benefit, and non-interference in other countries' affairs. In other words, America goes in, they, they, they kill the president, they have false flags, they do, they do color revolutions, they're, you know, constant, you know, sabotage. They, they, the West does not even acknowledge the United Nations. The United Nations is for everybody else, but not for, not for the West. The West is the hegemon, the the global cop bully to uh, to rape and plunder and exploit, uh, uh, you know, uh, human and natural resources around the world. The multipolar world is BRICS. The multipolar world is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The multipolar world is the United Nations uh, re- respecting countries big and small and accepting that, that every country has the right to run its uh, government and, and lead its people the way it best sees fit, even if, even, even if um, uh, uh, it may not be exactly what you want or I want, but the West has no right to interfere. So that's basically the only difference. That's basically the big difference. And China, of course, when it go, when it works in Africa, they're not sending in secret armies and SEALs and CIA and and uh, and and special ops to you know kill and assassinate and blow up places. They, the, that's why the the rest of the world loves working with China and now Russia more and more in Africa and South America because they don't do that. They go down. They they work with people for mutual benefit mutual profit, uh, and uh, mutual progress. The collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991 created a power vacuum for America's hegemonic unipolar role to emerge. During the last 30 years, as you have pointed out earlier, China has achieved a phenomenal economic, financial, technological, and military growth. And during the last 20 years since Putin came to power, Russia has grown both economically and militarily. The power vacuum no longer exists, as we are talking about, but the new liberal and the neocons who rule the United States refuse to acknowledge that the multi Polar revolution has begun. Couple of minutes is all we have, so just give us how you see this. I think everybody, these are very um, uh, uh, difficult times right now. The World Economic Forum, the you know the the techno fascist uh, leadership um, uh, in, in the West is doing its very level best to. Uh, uh, basically, just commit suicide for its people, uh, so that uh, so that uh, they can so that the the economies are wrecked, 
And so that then the, 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 the trillionaire dictators in the West can buy up all these assets in Europe, uh, especially, uh, and also in the United States, uh, you know, for 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, so they did it with COVID, and now they're just doing one it with minute, Ukraine. Just one minute, right. Jeff. So wrap it up. And now, and now they're doing it with Ukraine. They're, you know, they're, they're destroying their economies, you know, with no gas and no energy from Russia. It's really pathetic to see, uh, but uh, the history of the West is is that governments and leaders have have 99% of the time have been. Uh, uh, only interested in helping the 1% and not the 99%. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Until next thank time. Thank you, Dan. L- looking forward to the next one. Take care. Get get well. Get thank better, you. stronger. Thank you. You have been listening to Speaking Truth to Empire on KFCF 88.1 FM, independently owned and locally operated since 1975 in Fresno. We were speaking with geopolitical analyst, lecturer, and author Jeff J. Brown. Thank you for listening. My name is Daniel Yassin, host of the show. I will be back third Wednesday of next month.